It's something when you say that to a child, they stand up a little straighter. You know, they stick their chest out a little further because, you know, you believe in them. And so that's, I'm sure that changed a lot of kids' perspectives. Join us for Virtual Nassin 2020, starting on Monday, June 29th through Friday, July 3rd, 2020. Our closing keynote speaker for this event will be CEO and founder of Chicago Beyond, Liz Dozier. She will be talking to school nurses about the value of taking your seat at the table. Sign up today for Virtual Nassin 2020 via www.nasn.com. ORG. Welcome to the NASN School Nurse Chat Podcast. This is Donna Mazik, Executive Director for the National Association of School Nurses. The focus of today's podcast is the topic, taking your seat at the table, be brave, be dynamic, make a count. This will be a keynote presentation by Liz Dozier for the NASN 2020 Virtual Annual Conference. Co-hosting with me today is Jade Bland-Slaffy. She's my colleague at the National Association of School Nurses. Jade, welcome. Oh, thanks, Donna. I am the Nursing Education and Practice Specialist and Lead Nurse Conference Planner here at NASN, and I'm just excited to be a part of this conversation today. Well, we're glad you're here today. I want to introduce our listeners to Liz Dozier, who's founder and CEO of Chicago Beyond, which was founded in 2016 to invest in community-led initiatives and individuals who are fighting for all youth to achieve their fullest human potential. And this is for Chicago and beyond Chicago. Prior to launching Chicago Beyond, Liz Dozier was the principal of Fenger High School in Chicago's Roseland neighborhood. The school had been cast as one of the most violent and underperforming schools in Chicago. Liz and her team were charged with turning the school around. And this turnaround team at Fenger understood that traumatic events outside of the classroom were affecting those students. So Liz led a holistic approach to the work, which included the adoption of restorative justice, along with mental health and wellness strategies. And the results were amazing. They included double-digit increases in attendance, and the graduation rate. So excited that you're here today with us, Liz. Welcome. Thank you so much, Donna. It's great to be here with you today, with you and with Jay. Well, I will tell you, Liz, I am a former high school nurse, and I was excited to hear about your story and what happened to Finger High School. Tell us, what was one of your biggest challenges as a principal? You know, Donna, I'd have to say it was trauma. Like, undoubtedly, it was trauma. I became principal of what people said, like you mentioned, was one of the most violent and underperforming schools, not just in Chicago, but in the state of Illinois. So what that really looked like in practical terms was, you know, a 20% dropout rate on a given year. It looked like, you know, 40% of our young people graduating and 300 arrests every single year on the inside of our school building. And people, you know, hear that and they hear those numbers and they think, well, you know, gosh, those kids must have been so bad. All 1,500 of them, they must have been bad kids. Um, but what we were seeing when I first became the principal of Finger High School was the effects ultimately of the trauma in which our kids were living in. 
ecosystem, their neighborhoods, the environments, the homes, the things which filled with traumatic experience. And this was before trauma was really talked about as regularly and as openly as it is now in 2020. Uh, Paul Tuff had come out with How Children Succeed right around 2009. ACEs, our adverse childhood experiences that uh, had come out um, and had been started to be talked about more during that time. And our situation was extreme in that a lot of our children had seven, eight, nine, ten in terms of their ACEs score. Uh. However, we were still able to achieve in spite of that because we were able to wrap our kids with the actual supports that they need both the physical supports, but also the mental health and wellness supports. And so, although we started at that point that I shared with you, ultimately where we ended was, you know, graduation rates went from 40% to over 80%. The dropout rates went down, you know, from 20% down to below 2%. And those arrests went down to virtually zero on any given year. And I don't want to oversimplify it. It was complicated. There was you know, restorative justice practices in place. We had uh, trainings and I mean, there was tons of like hours and stuff that went into that, but it was possible because we were able to step up to that challenge, that really, really big challenge of trauma by working together in service of our young people. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, Liz. We definitely know it's layered and complex and you've repeated the word we and you repeated the word together several times. And I know that you've been known to say that no one does this work alone. What would you say to school nurses who feel they're working in silos or alone as they advocate for students to be healthy, safe, and ready to learn in school? Donna, I truly believe, and I, in my very like DNA, I really believe that no one does this work alone. I think we can look at some of the most successful people in our society or even just in our very communities in which we live. And at least for me, I always find that there are others who either they contributed, they pushed, they supported, they were thought partners, they helped to execute. And the same was true at my school as well. Oftentimes, I think school nurses, school counselors feel that they are working in silos and oftentimes they are I think there's an incredible opportunity, especially in this time of COVID-19, where the school nurse is the front and center in responding to and into contributing to both the plans that will develop for our schools, but ultimately the plans that will develop to keep our children healthy and whole. And I was going to say, Liz, that's, you know, very amazing. And, you know, I, I know you mentioned thought partners and connecting and and how that all relates to COVID-19. And so as school nurses, they're trying to get ready for school reopenings, probably, as you know, and trying to prep themselves and kind of figure out, you know, what exactly is their seat or their role when it comes to this conversation. And so I just wanted to ask, like, how can school nurses use their voices to gain a seat at the table with educators or school leadership? Because that always seems to be a little bit sometimes of a barrier for some of us. It goes without saying that we're in unprecedented times, and and COVID has, I think, in many ways brought us as a society to our knees, and it has revealed all types of disparities and equities, everything from healthcare to education. But I do believe that there is, in this time, a unique opportunity for us to really rebuild, if you will, and to really reimagine in the school context 
what school looks like. And we truly can't do this without school nurses. I've seen as I've traveled the country, you know, just in speaking in other school districts, like in many cases, the school nurse is like the medical professional that our school children and that our families ultimately interact with the most. It's more than, you know, their pediatrician or their doctor that they see. Like there is this real incredible opportunity for interaction. And I think that especially this time that the school nurse really has the opportunity to step up. What's going to happen on the other end of COVID once we actually get back into our schools, we're going to not only just the effects of you know, the physical effects, but also the mental health and wellness effects. And the school nurse comes with a wide range of information. Just give this quick example. Um, I don't know if you guys know Doug Harris. He's at Tulane University, and he was uh, a major part of a research team that was tracking students who actually returned to school after Katrina happened, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Right. And what they basically did was they tracked young people who had re-enrolled and reorganized schools. He tracked them for roughly two years. And what he said, what I thought was really interesting, is that you know, there was obviously this learning loss, but there's also this suggestive evidence that he said that there's a huge negative impact, particularly for low-income young people who are in poverty despite race. And he said that uh, what hurt our children at that time wasn't just the interruption in class time, it was the economic impact and the emotional trauma. And, and those things were really impacting kids across the board. And so as I think about that, all of these factors apply in the situation that we're in right now with COVID. And so I think we should expect something in terms of a time of, of recovery, both in social ways and economic ways. And as I think about, from my perspective, you know, they don't have to gain a seat at the table. The school nurses are front and center. Um, and I would argue the question will be, how can the school nurse really maximize that seat during this time, because they will ultimately be looked to for advice and for direction uh, as we think about our schools and our communities. And Liz, we appreciate hearing what you're saying. And you mentioned that this is a unique time to rebuild and reimagine um, how schools are working and, and how we work with young people. Which school roles do you see that are currently untapped? And how might we tap into those roles to have a seat at the table? Typically, when people think of schools, um, I feel that they uh, maybe have the image they conjure up in their mind typically is of, you know, teachers and principals. And that's like that, that is the, the image. But when I think back to my experience at Finger and the success we were able to achieve, it was truly because we had tried to, in our best efforts, tap into every single person in that building when you are both know I'm sure in firsthand ways that you know young people build relationships not just with teachers and principals but with every adult in the building and so as I think about some of like the untapped roles it is everything outside of that it's and every person from nurses to guidance counselors social workers the lunchroom staff the janitors there are so many people that make up the fabric of a school that not only keeps 
mean in terms of, you know, up and, and running, but keep us healthy and whole uh, in, in the true sense of what a community is. I remember um, as a school principal, um, oftentimes students would have issues or concerns or, you know, things would happen. And, you know, sometimes they would go to teachers, but they school nurse, nurse cook was a trusted confidant and kids would go to her or, you know, our janitor or our social worker and our counselors. And so as I think about recovery and we think about rebuilding, it will be critical for those relationships and roles to really be honored and for many people to have a seat at the table as we think about how we're going to do school. Liz, what you shared reminds me of the evidence that shows that if every student had at least one adult with whom they connect in a school, that it makes a difference for their connection with school. So you really absolutely the community there. Yeah. Absolutely. Those relationships are so important. It's one of the things that worries me the most about what's happening now. You know, all the relationships that are, will be fractured, you know, as a result of being not in the school building. In 2016, Liz Dozier launched Chicago Beyond, an impact investor that backs the fight for equity by fueling organizations that support young people. Since its inception, Chicago Beyond has invested more than $30 million in efforts for youth to achieve their fullest human potential. To learn more about Chicago Beyond, go to chicagobeyond.org. I'd like for you to share with us your definition of equity and wondering how that shows up in schools. So in my mind, uh, equity is championing the individual cultures, their identities, talents, abilities, language, like interests of each and every single student by ensuring they receive the necessary opportunities and resources to meet their unique needs and their aspirations. I just think in an equitable education system, every student has access to resources, they have access to opportunities, they have access to educational rigor, despite, you know, however they come to the table, right? Despite race, despite sexual orientation, language, how they learn, and that's really important. And I think it shows up in schools, at least from the adult perspective, how I've seen it show up in uh, some of its best ways is adults really taking the issue of equity seriously to ensure that every student has access to what I was mentioning before and examining their own biases and really seeking to interrupt inequitable practices when they see them. I mean, I've seen them in schools before. I'm sure you have too, Donna, like these things happen. I think it's our responsibility as we work to create equitable schools and equitable environments to really ensure inclusivity and um, environments that really champion equity for all. Absolutely. So as you have been in this work um, throughout your career and you've been disrupting school and community cultures of inequity, what encourages you to keep at it? I'm sure it's the same thing it was like for you, Donna. For me, it was uh, and still is like it's the young people. I literally love being around young people. Whenever I get to hog down with, you know, all the adult minutia of, you know, everything, 
Um, I always find myself going back and spending time with the youth. There's such promise and possibility in every single young person, despite their zip code, despite, you know, their home situations or what schools they attend all across America. I just see like promise and possibility in, in young people. And that always keeps me encouraged and keeps me going, especially in this work um, at Chicago Beyond, where we're but not just not to serve young people in a school, but ultimately really reimagine, you know, what Chicago, what an equitable Chicago would look like. I definitely have that same heart that keeps me in the work. And those two words, possibility and promise, are words that I remember sharing with young people because for some of them, they don't see those. And you have to hold up the mirror to them sometimes. And your staying with the work does that. It's so true. And I bet yeah. you saying that, it's something when you say that to a child, they stand up a little straighter. You know, they stick their chest out a little further because, you know, you believe in them. And so that's, I'm sure that changed a lot of kids' perspectives, Donna. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually kept a little mirror with me <laughs> just so that I could remind them of who they would see as ones who had promise and possibility. How have you seen that, Jade, in your work? Uh, I've seen it in very similar ways. You know, I find, as I was thinking about what both of you said, and even Donna, what you asked, like the whole disruptor piece, you know, and and how that looks is, you know, sometimes I think it always kind of gets a negative connotation, you know, but I find that it's, it's actually a good thing and it causes innovation in creative ways for people to kind of think outside the box of how we can reach young people. And, you know, Liz, mm-hmm. I'm always inspired by the things you've done and where you're going because of how you've been able to do that and really having our youth to kind of see themselves as more than what others may view them as or, you know, what school the system actually kind of views them as. So I always find that to be encouraging as well. Thank you. I think there are so many across the country who are doing just that, who do see, like you and Donna both mentioned, seeing the promise and possibility in kids and championing kids and championing communities. And so I'm proud to represent them today. (laughs) We're glad you're representing them, and we're glad you'll be at our conference to speak more about it. You mentioned earlier, Liz, about COVID-19, and we know that COVID-19 challenges our current work that we do with students and families. How do you hold the resolving of this immediate human suffering and needs with the long-term systems-level work that needs to go on during this pandemic? So Chicago Beyond, we're taking a look at both. And we've very distinctly decided that, you know, for us, it is important to look at the short term, but also to plan for the long term as well. So this, this short term, and I'll put short term in, in quotes because it doesn't feel very short right now, but eventually COVID will be over and we will have to have different on the other side of that. So for us, in terms of the short term, I mean, Chicago Beyond has worked on just getting immediate needs front and center and working to support that. So we're feeding um, roughly about 5,000 families per week with a week's worth of groceries. We're getting, um, you know, hygiene kits out across Chicago. We've provided masks to uh, outreach workers and those doing direct community service work. We've purchased, I think, close to now 700 gallons of hand sanitizer and are getting them out to people who are 
you know, working in communities, community members. And so, you know, really working on some of those very prominent, immediate needs that, you know, families are facing here in, in our city. Um, but we're also aware, um, like I was mentioning earlier, that COVID-19 is really revealing these disparities. It's revealing inequities, everything from healthcare to education. And so we have started to think about, okay, like as we're, you know, supporting immediate needs in the short term, how do we not miss like the long-term planning and planning for and reimagining what our future can look like? I think COVID-19 in a lot of ways was our report card, at least for our city, on equity. And we didn't do so well. Um, we know there's um, greater disparities in terms of death rates, African-Americans, and so on. And so we are working with community members, with school leaders, with folks who work in schools, um, just across the city to figure out, like, what is the best long-term path forward? And how do we support it? Because, you know, we all are in this together. You know, there is no separating things out. We're all in this together. I think it's an opportunity for us to reimagine a brighter future. Thank yeah. you so much, Liz. Yeah. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. You've left several words that just resonate, and I'm looking forward to building on those words, the reimagining. Uh, we do have a really different time in our world to be able to reimagine, and we're so happy you were able to be our guest today and yes. share some of what you're looking at. Thank you so much, Donna, and thank you, Jade. It was great to be here today with you on this podcast. And I am looking forward to connecting and to all of what is to come. For our listeners, Liz is our actually closing keynote speaker for conference, and so we are eager to have her come to join us virtually for NASA in 2020. Her session is on July 3rd. Um, it starts at 2.50 p.m., Eastern Standard Time up till 4.05 p.m. on Friday, July 3rd, 2020. So thanks again, Liz. Thank you. Thank you both. Virtual NASA 2020 is right around the corner. Come and learn about the latest topics and trends that are impacting school nurses around the world. Earn up to 15 plus contact hours of continuing nursing education CNE credits highlighting our theme, a seat at the table, winning together for student health. School nurses are navigating uncharted territory with school reopenings, so the value of your seat at the table is more pivotal than ever. Learn the value of your voice and seat with our closing keynote speaker, CEO and founder of Chicago Beyond, Liz Dozier.